This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. Diastaticus in your brewery. Hunting for diastaticus. Do we want to actually put this deliberately out in the market? Diastaticus seems like quite an oddball. NDST one gene. The recent lawsuit that uh, Left Hand Brewery has brought against White Labs, everyone is thinking about diastaticus coming from their yeast providers. So brewers should be really aware of any strain that's claiming to have kind of a high level of attenuation. It's likely that it has that gene present. In the ST1 gene. There really is no threshold um, that's acceptable for this strain. It will, it'll do you wrong, that's for sure. And that that's one thing I, I think that people are seeing issues with is they'll have this really low level detection in their beers and then it won't be until you know three, maybe four months that they start seeing this overcarbonation happening. Merry Christmas, everyone. This week on the show, you'll hear from a barrage of brewers, yeast suppliers, and independent microbiologists who all have experience with diastaticus. We'll cover detection, prevention, horror stories, and more, all right here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Uh, it's dangerous, but you can combat it, I think. Um, I mean, once you have it in your brewery, it's in the environment, it's everywhere. Whether or not it's coming from, as we're hearing from everyone, maybe it's coming from a yeast supplier, or maybe it's just in the air somewhere. Um, however it got in, it's there, and it's in the environment. And um, as long as you keep your your standards in line uh, and you're up to par with all of your CIPs, SIPs, just any surface, uh, the beer contacts, um, you should be able to keep it at bay because um, if you don't I mean you're, you're going to be able to tell almost immediately that strain I would say within depending on the weather of course how you're storing your cans but for some if it's in the summer months I would say within two weeks you can definitely feel the cans are taut um, and that's when if you haven't proactively seen it on the plates um, that's when you really need to be concerned and try to if you need to make a plan of action to get that off the shelves or buy it back, um, definitely do that as soon as you, as soon as you feel those cans and they're a little taut. And then some, it could take maybe like a month and a half, two months, uh, again, depending on how they're stored. So just something, if you have the ability to screen for that, um, in the early stages, definitely do so because it can creep up and like most things, you only need one cell and one colony forming unit, and there, there really is no threshold um, that's acceptable for this strain. It will, it'll do you wrong, that's for sure. Hi, my name is Matthew Peets, and I'm with Inland Island Yeast Laboratories. 
I guess um, let's start with some basics. What is diastaticus and why is everybody talking about it right now? So uh, what gets referred to is Saccharomyces cerevisiae variety diastaticus is really just any uh, kind of host of genes that have one of these three um, genes in them that are able to produce glucoanalase extracellularly. It causes the dextrins in the beer to be broken down and then yeast can go back and ferment it. So it's really any strain of cerevisiae that has one of these three genes inserted into it. Well, so where we're seeing a lot of uh, kind of work being done on this is all these smaller breweries that decide they want to get into canning. And so you have somebody who's producing one to 2,000 barrels of beer in an entire year, and they decide that they want to package it in crawlers or cans. Maybe they're hiring a mobile canning company or borrowing a wild goose filler from a friend. Um, and so they don't really have any lab equipment. Um, this is maybe their first time canning. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they've created a product that they hope a consumer can bring home, store for a while and drink. And the reality is uh, maybe the consumer is storing it warm. Uh, maybe it's not handled all that well. But now um, they've got cans exploding or overcarbonating. And instead of kind of boosting their brand by canning, uh, they're kind of ruining their reputation. So it's definitely it's affecting quite a few smaller brewers. Next, let's hear from an established brewer who's setting out to can a beer made from diastatic yeast. Hi, my name is Andy Tibikram, and I'm the brewmaster and one of the co-founders of Market Garden Brewery in Cleveland, Ohio. It's actually a wit beer uh, that has uh, some uh, tangerine and lime uh, zest and peel incorporated into it. But we use this, this French Saison yeast, and uh, we've been using it in our brew pub for seven years now. And we just like the flavor that it produces. But we, we've always noticed that it is a, you know, a pretty extreme attenuator. I mean, it, it'll go down to uh, close to zero. Typically, we see you know, 1.2 Play-Doh thereabout. Um, so uh, we started looking into putting uh, some beer into cans. And we're going to launch in January. And then we started doing a little more digging around on, on the yeast we're going to use. Found out, oh, hey, all this conversation on the web about diastaticus. Uh, and then we confirmed that with uh, PCR in our lab. So sure enough, you know, it, it got a hit. So um, that set off an interesting chain of, of you know, hand wringing and soul searching. Uh, like, do we want to actually put this deliberately out in the marketplace? And what are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we kind of developed an action plan. Um, you know, it is just a yeast. It's not a bacteria. So uh, we're pretty good at, you know, uh, adding and removing yeast in a brewery. It's kind of what we do, right? So our current plan is basically just to centrifuge it and possibly filter it uh, and just basically get the, the yeast load greatly reduced. Uh, then we have to, you know, figure out if we want to have some kind of permanent haze or dose in additional yeast to make it cloudy, that kind of thing. But uh, the most important thing is, I think, knowing that we have this organism in our brewery and then handling it accordingly, uh, which this is much different than uh, if you have it in your brewery and you don't know it or you, you know, you don't realize it's in your packaged beer. Um, so we started playing around with some, some different scenarios. We, uh, we had it on tap at our brew pub and we have a growler filling machine that does counter pressure filling. So we filled some, uh, some bottles and we crowned them and 
we just basically said, okay, what's the worst case scenario if we had this beer sitting out on the shelf at say 80 degrees, what's it going to do if we don't do any, you know, if we don't do anything, if we just as is put it out there. Uh, so we, we stuck some bottles in our, our incubator at 80 degrees and, uh, uh, Carl, my lab guy pulled one out after three days and, uh, we, with uh, safety sorry, glasses we, on, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we had checked the carbonation before we put them in the incubator. Uh, and they were like, you know, 2.6 volumes, kind of fairly normal. And after three days, uh, the first bottle he opened had shot up to like 3.7 volumes. Okay. <laughs> so pretty active stuff. And of course, it was, you know, kind of foaming and gushing. And uh, it, that just told us basically everything we needed to know that, like, yeah, this stuff, given a chance, will re-ferment. Uh, and, you know, because that's what it does, it, secretes diastase or or you know amylase into its environment and uh, creates more fermentables yeah um so that basically commits me okay we we, we've got to you know basically look at getting rid of if not all of the yeast at least most of it so it's at a level where it really can't do anything uh so we're kind of playing around with that now you know uh uh, centrifuging down samples in the lab and then kind of re-inoculating with certain uh, small cell counts trying to figure out if there's a point at which you know we we need to start worrying if we have x number of e-cells per mil um, that's kind of ongoing right now uh, carl's also uh, because he's a microbiologist he's kind of geeking out on this project so he's uh he's playing with temperature die-off curves for the diastaticus by uh putting samples in our uh in our, our thermocycler that we use for PCR, so we can dial in very specific temperature set points and kind of make it little charts of like here it is at you know 38C and it's doing fine, and then these cell counts look like this, and then it gets to 40C and you know kind of starts ramping down. Uh, so it's just kind of internal stuff for us to uh, use this measurement. Uh, also, uh, you know, we're, we're plating it out on different growth media just kind of confirming the, the PCR results because uh, it does look like there's a so basically, there's a brewer's yeast, and then there's also the diastaticus yeast in this particular strain that we're playing around with. Uh, and so it does, the diastaticus does show up on a uh, wild yeast media. Uh, so that's that's kind of interesting. Cool. Yeah. Um, but like I said, uh, the main thing for me is, is, I guess, how you approach it. You know, if, uh, if you know you've got it going into it and you're going to put your beer out in the package, then you're going to have to address it with... Uh, some of the traditional means that brewers use to control contamination, you know, either pasteurization or filtration or, or thorough centrifuging. <laughs> um, hello, I'm Sylvie Banzandek with Lalaman. I'm the director of sales and marketing for the Brewing East. Obviously, we're here to talk about uh, diastaticus. Um, an anonymous post on Ask the Brewmasters got a lot of folks talking recently. I'm paraphrasing here, but the original post basically said, you know, hey, rumor has it several commercial strains aren't labeled as uh, diastaticus variants, but should be so that brewers know exactly what they're getting into. Uh, so why don't you guys start off by just, um, you know, commenting on, on that? We... So I'll talk on behalf of Lanaman. We have a uh, strain on the market called Vale Saison, which is a Saccharomyces cerevisiae uh, varitiastaticus. When we first put it on the market, it wasn't labeled as such, but we really quickly realized that there was a need for transparency and certainly a need for education 
uh, with the brewers. And that's something we really pride ourselves on at Lalaman. We don't just sell yeast, we sell a lot of expertise and a lot of technical support uh, with this. So we uh, quickly change our label to really clearly state that uh, it, uh, it is uh, Saccharomyces diastaticus strain. And uh, that way the brewers know what they're getting into when, uh, when they use the yeast. But then what we realize is that although it is labeled, sometimes brewers are not realizing what it means. So there's, there's really a need for education, which we see as an opportunity on our side, uh, because we have a lot of uh, knowledge to share. And uh, this is why we're really keen on participating in um, presentations, uh, talk, podcasts, where we can uh, be totally transparent and explain uh, how we do things on our side. But most importantly, uh, fully disclose what we do. Coming up, more stuff you should know about Diastaticus. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Well, I'd like to put in a big old plug for uh, a workshop coming up at the Brewing Summit in August in San Diego, sure thing. which is a, uh, a joint uh, ASBC and MBAA workshop. Uh, so we're running two of these joint workshops, and one of them is all about diastaticus in your brewery. So we're going to get some, uh, some, some of the brightest minds in the business to dissect this topic and talk about what you can do and how you could be more proactive in approaching it. So that should be a pretty good topic, I think. Very good. And that'll be at the Brewing Summit in San Diego. And what's, do you know, know the date on that off the top of your head? That's August 12 through 14. All right. Excellent. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. Don't miss the Draft Line Cleaning Best Practices webinar January 16th. District St. Louis meets January 18th at Anheuser-Busch InBev. District New England meets in New Hampshire January 19th and 20th. The 2018 District Ontario Technical Conference is January 24th through the 26th in Niagara Falls. The District St. Paul Minneapolis Scholarship Fundraiser is January 24th at Indeed Brewing. District Northern California holds its technical conference February 2nd at Sierra Nevada and Chico. The District St. Paul, Minneapolis February Meeting and Scholarship Drive is February 8th at Surly Brewing. District St. Louis meets at O'Fallon Brewery on February 18th. The Fundamentals of Cut and Stack Labeling webinar is February 19th. District Mid-South meets at Mill Creek in Nashville March 2nd and 3rd. Districts Michigan and St. Louis both meet March 15th. And check out the speaker lineup for the 2018 Eastern Technical Conference March 23rd and 24th in Atlantic City. View the full count of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. And we've gone and labeled the yeast on our website that we know uh, contains the diastaticus gene. Um, but really any yeast, you know, when, when a brewer makes their sugar profile, you're kind of stuck with 30 to 20% dextrins. They should be unfermentable. Um, but so any yeast that claims to get you attenuation beyond maybe 75 to 80% 
must have one of those genes or uh, it's, it would be unable to consume that dextrin. So brewers should be really aware of any strain that's claiming to have kind of a high level of attenuation. It's likely that it has that gene present. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And, you know, my friend um, Jasper Ackerboom of Jasper Yeast uh, also posted a, a, an interesting point on the thread. He asked about research related to the expression of the glucoamylase enzyme. Uh, he wrote that the presence of the gene doesn't always mean that it's actually being expressed and that it might not be functional. Yeah, uh, so the way we detect diastaticus is with PCR right now um, at Inland Island. And so um, any yeast that has that gene in its DNA gets picked up as diastaticus. And it happens to be that all the yeast that uh, have that gene are also, also highly attenuative. So we um, kind of have a really good relationship between the presence of that gene and its expression um, viewed as the ability or when it is breaking down dextrins. So we haven't come across a strain yet that has that gene that doesn't show expression yet. And hello, I'm uh, Tobias Fischborn. I'm uh, in charge of the R&D and quality control and quality assurance uh, for Lallemand Brewing. With the STA1 gene, if it's expressed or not, um, yeah, there is uh, still a debate and um, I don't think there's a, a final answer. Um, most of the time when we check uh, and we find the STA1 gene, it's also uh, expressing and um, producing the uh, enzyme that cuts down the, the sugars, the higher sugars. There might be a way to measure the, uh, the expression of it. Maybe that would be more of a question for uh, the yeah, ones that are developing the, the PCR kit, like uh, Pika, or uh, is that something that you know that Gojuan would be focusing on, Tobias? Well, she has developed the kit, and uh, again, they're looking for, I believe, within the STA1 gene, they're looking for a smaller sequence because uh, they're using qPCR, and for qPCR, the, the whole gene is too big, so they're just uh, looking for a small sequence within the uh, gene, and that's what they're replicating and uh, uh, detecting then the uh, possible diastaticus. Hi, my name is Michelle McHugh, and I am the quality control specialist at Union Craft Brewing in Baltimore. Once I came to Union, I had discovered we had some issues with popping cans, um, which is an immediate sign normally of a diastatic yeast. Um, once I found that, I started to detect it on LCSM plates. Um, that's probably the best way right about now to do that. Um, I sent it in for sequencing and realized it was definitely uh, Saccharomyces subspecies diastaticus. Um, and from there, we went and reviewed all of our chemical concentrations, um, cleaning procedures, all of that. Um, the first thing we did was up our, our caustic, our phosphonitric acid, and parasitic acid solutions. Um, still, that didn't seem to be making a difference as far as what I was finding on my plates. Um, then I went and looked at our Zwickles, and I had discovered that they were not being broken down properly. And so I could be getting very clean samples and using the aseptic sampling technique as that's the industry standard, um, according to the ASBC, but I would still get these positives. 
So I broke down the Swickles and swabbed the inside, and sure enough, um, the diastaticus was living in there. Um, same strain, had it sequenced. Um, and once we saw that, we were able to say, okay, break it down, um, and now we're going to autoclave every single Swickle before it goes back on the take after it's uh, been soaked in caustic. And since then, we have not, knock on wood, we have not seen a problem. Um, so the biggest improvement I would say there is uh, definitely the parasitic acid concentration, because clearly it was in the beer before. Um, and then also just really checking every single aspect um, of your tank, every single point of possible contamination and entrance and contact. And um, that's what we did. And now we're sterilizing every Zwickle and that's working. So is, then it, as far is it safe to assume that you, you were seeing it in lots of different brands? It's not like this was, you know, limited to, you know, a brand or two. It's because it was, you know, in all of your sample valves. So you, did you see it in multiple brands, I assume? We did. We saw it in multiple and it really didn't make sense. Um, according to the changes we had made in our CIP and SIP procedures um, and chemical concentrations, it didn't make any sense uh, that we would be seeing that and not getting thorough cleaning um, done. So that's when we really had to look at the Zwickles and we did see it in multiple tanks. And then once we figured that out, um, we went ahead and were able to call it out and say that's the problem and really solve it and uh, go about better procedures with that. Um, and the best method of detection, I would say, what really helped us out was just using the lens cupric sulfate medium. Um, that really is the telltale sign. Um, and that's where you're going to see it. Of course, you have the options of uh, new P uh, PCR technology with invisible sentinel and such, uh, such things like that. Um, and that's definitely a further step that I think we'll look into in the near future. But as far as knowing what to look for in your colony morphology, um, once you see it, it is, it's pretty easy to see that warning and um, kind of start to look further into it once you see those same type of colonies. Um, so yeah, just really testing every beer at multiple points, definitely using that LCSM media. You know, I learned something new. Um, I was reading the post on the Ask the, Brewma Ask the Brewmasters forum that you responded to, um, and Graham Stewart, who also contributed to the uh, conversation on Ask the Brewmasters, he attached one of his many papers, which is a, a great resource. Uh, anyway, I, uh, he wrote um, that while wort dextrin utilization is possible by this yeast subspecies due to secretion extracellularly of glucoamylase, um, however, this uh, this enzyme produced by uh, diastaticus is incapable of hydrolyzing the alpha-1-6 bonds of dextrins where it is able to hydrolyze the alpha-1-4 bonds. So um, that was new to me. You know, a lot of people talk about it super attenuating all the way down to nothing, but, you know, I didn't realize that it could only work on the 1-4 bonds. Yeah, I mean, there's still definitely a limit. Um, like people brew with French Cezanne all the time. They like it because it dries the beer out quite a bit. Um, but it still leaves some residual sugar behind, yeah. which would be any of those sugars that have a 1-6 bond it's unable to chop up. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, another thing that was interesting that Dr. Stewart pointed out, he, he said that um, 
uh, there was an, he referenced another study from his paper that examined the uh, glucose concentration of uh, in pasteurized uh, diastaticus beer, and that uh, concentration increased during storage for three months um, at room temperature, uh, which indicated that the glucoamylase is not heat sensitive too. So for those who are thinking about pasteurization as a um, defense mechanism, maybe that's not the, the best approach. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because it's possible that the yeast is being killed, but that that enzyme is still present in the beer and able to continue to chop it up and break it up into glucose. So you might not see over attenuation happen because all the yeast has been destroyed. So nothing's turning that sugar into uh, CO2 and alcohol, but the enzyme's still in there kind of destroying the sugar profile you created. Coming up next week, the diastaticus discussion continues. Yeah, I mean, I know for a fact that some people are getting it from their supplier mixed in. I mean, we've done some testing for other people, and uh, I'm 100% convinced uh, it's coming in, uh, in some cases, from the supplier. Tune in next week for more perspective from brewers, yeast suppliers, and independent microbiologists. We'll dive deeper into detection and prevention and hear some more war stories, including my own. Special thanks to Ben Chambers, who encouraged me to bring this hot topic to the Master Brewers podcast. Merry Christmas and safe travels. 130 years ago, Master Brewers was built on the concept of brewers helping each other out so we could all make the best possible beer. That's still true to this day, and it's where a lot of the camaraderie in this industry originated. Master Brewers award-winning Ask the Brewmasters is the best place to go for troubleshooting where you'll find the industry's only discussion forum that's moderated for technical accuracy by a team of experts. See what everyone else is talking about at community.mbaa.com. United, we brew. Did you enjoy today's episode? Would you like us to keep making more? If so, there's a really simple way you can let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review the Master Brewers podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.